So welcome back to the podcast, Renting an Apartment in New York City. My name is Rodolfo Delgado, and we're here today with Kunal Kemlani from Living New York. Kunal brings over a decade of real estate and advertising experience to the table. Having lived in Hong Kong, Switzerland, the UK, and the US, Kunal has experienced firsthand the hurdles of finding a new home. So Kunal, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. In today's episode, I'd like to discuss the state of the rental market in New York City and how it translates into people's ability to building equity and potentially buying their first home. So Kunal, as you know, Recent reports have shown us that there's been a 5% increase in the prices of rental apartments in New York from the past year. Because of this, do you see other boroughs such as Queens, Staten Island, the Bronx, or Brooklyn being more attractive to Manhattan residents? So the short answer to that is yes. New York rents are continuing to rise and will continue to rise this year. We have a busy spring and summer market ahead of us. You're also looking in the city where the vacancy rate has dipped below 1%, which means that in the majority of buildings that you see in the city, less than 1% of the apartments are actually available to be rented. Wow. So to be able to understand your options and how to proceed when other boroughs become more attractive and why other boroughs become more attractive, we have to take a step back and understand the average price points between different neighborhoods. So for example, the average one bedroom in Manhattan is a little over $3,400, Rodolfo. That's super expensive. It's about $40,000 a year. Whereas if you look at a really popular neighborhood such as Bushwick in Brooklyn, you're looking at about $2,400 for a one bedroom, for that same one bedroom, in fact. So the same one bedroom in Manhattan and in Bushwick, which is in Brooklyn, would go for $1,000 less? $12,000 less a year. And over the course of a couple years, you're looking at about a down for about $60,000, roughly a down payment for a home or a condo. In Riverdale, which is a really beautiful community in the Bronx that has access to two subways, I can get into that more later, you're looking at about half the price of Manhattan, $1,750. So ultimately, when deciding on where you want to live, whether it's in Manhattan or the outer boroughs, I think for these people that are looking to rent, it helps to accept earlier on in the search that no neighborhood you live in is going to have everything you want. You can get a good deal, for example, but the place may not be huge. You can find a large place that's not next to transportation, or you can find a great location, but rarely do you get all three together. So it's important to prioritize what's important to you as a renter, and even the most seasoned New Yorker are gonna have a hard time choosing neighborhoods that checks off all of their boxes. Hmm. It seems to me that we're talking about a strategy here. You move out of Manhattan, you save enough to be able to put down a down payment and acquire your first home. Is this a strategy that you have employed yourself? Sure. Uh, I lived in Manhattan for six years. I moved here in 2012, had an amazing experience. But after a while, I realized that I was hemorrhaging money and it affected my ability to save for what I wanted to be a down payment for a home. I moved to Queens, love living out there. And over the past couple of years, it's helped me build equity to, to the point where right now I'm in the process of purchasing a home. Oh, wow. Congratulations. But that would have never happened without two things, the expansion of transportation and technology and city resources that has really impacted my ability and people's ability to live in areas outside of Manhattan. Hmm. 
Yeah, this strategy has always been around, right? Save money, build equity. But a decade ago, the same strategy would have come with a lot of sacrifices. For example, the Q train, which was built roughly a couple of years ago, has been a game changer for people living on the Upper East Side. They're able to go to the West Side very easily. If you want to get to Times Square from 86th Street, it's roughly 10 minutes on that train. So you can apply that same strategy that would have come with a lot of sacrifices without being a burden right now. Technology, transportation, city resources. So to continue the conversation about transportation, how has the expansion of different transportation methods impacted people's ability or desire to live in areas outside of Manhattan? Sure. So there was a study done recently by Curbed that ranked New York City as still one of the top 10 places to live in right now. But that's that we would have never ranked in that top 10 if it wasn't for the expansion of outer boroughs such as Brooklyn and Queens. Uh, hmm. The Certainly the expansion of the subway line has made it easier for people to get to and from Manhattan. So number one, we have reduced commute times. Interesting. The MTA plans to expand their all-electric buses, and they're purchasing these buses. They're, they're expensive. They're about a million dollars a piece, but they plan to go ahead with that. And by 2029, so roughly less than a decade from now, the city plans to start only buying electric buses. So we have a lot more cleaner transportation. It's more efficient. There's also the expansion of the LIRR station. So Penn Station is going to be improved and expanded, uh, which is happening at the end of this year. So rather than taking an Uber home or a Lyft home, you have the ability to take the train and a bus to reduce the cost of transportation. So you have a reduction in transportation time and you have less of a cost to living outside of the city. Huh. Now, let's talk about the sales market for one second. I recently read a report that said that Manhattan luxury real estate has dipped to its lowest point since 2013. How has this impacted the seller's ability to sell? Well, certainly what you're seeing happening in the market now is you have an oversupply of luxury properties. Uh, I think, it, as you just cited, 12.2%. And basically what that's doing is it's, it's made it a buyer's market. It's a great time to buy if that's the goal. Uh, what we're going to continue to discuss is a strategy on how to build that equity to be able to have the option to buy. But certainly sellers are willing to accept lower prices in order to offload their homes. I think a lot of people want access to money, to capital, uh, and they understand that profit margins are probably a little less important now than they were a few years ago, just to be able to get access to that money. Hmm. There are fewer luxury buyers in the market. And part of the reason for that is a lot of people are looking at these outer boroughs, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Staten Island, and finding great deals out there. Yeah. And given what we just mentioned a couple minutes ago with the, with the lower commute time and a cheaper commute overall, it makes it more attractive to first-time buyers. Absolutely. I was also reading Corcoran's sales report today, and I found out that the average amount of days that a property for sale is staying on the market is 123 days. It used to be the case that it was way lower than that, which means that because of the fact that there's a lot more inventory on the market, a lot of luxury apartments for sale, and less people interested in investing in luxury apartments right now would be a good time for potential buyers to step into the market and acquire their first property. Yeah, and, and whether you're, you're planning to live here for a year or whether you're planning to live here for a decade, the strategy that we're talking about is important to use because let's say you, you plan to move to New York and live here for one or two years. If you're able to reduce your rent into half and save 
1200 to $2,400 a month, you know, roughly we take the median of that, let's say 17, 15 to $1,700, you're saving almost 20 grand a year, which in five years is a down payment for a home, is a down payment for a business, is the, it gives you the economic freedom to start a business, to open up that wine store that you wanted to open up, to create that app, the next replay listings, <laughs> or to move out of New York. So I also want to add that it's estimated that about 35% of millennials will become homeowners nationwide within the next five years, Rodolfo. That's interesting. And what we want to tie that back to is the strategy for acquiring that wealth to be able to be in, in that bracket, whether you're millennial or not. So my next question to you is, Kunal, for those looking to save enough capital to afford doing that, which neighborhoods could you recommend outside of Manhattan that offer a great quality of life with an affordable price? Sure. So rather than spending 3000 a month in a non-doorman building in the Lower East Side to be by these mega projects that are coming up, for example, Essex Crossing, you can look at a neighborhood such as Jackson Heights, Sunnyside or Astoria. Um, for people that are moving here from another state, another country, that really value the diversity that they have. I don't know if most people know, but Jackson Heights is one of the most diverse neighborhoods in New York. There are over 150 different languages spoken by neighborhood residents. Wow, that's amazing. And with that comes great food, good culture, access to, to different things going on around you. So Jackson Heights, Sunnyside and Astoria are, are the neighborhoods I would look at in Queens. In Brooklyn in particular, we looked at Bushwick, but there's also Prospect Leffert Gardens. The commute, you have the B or the Q train or the local two train. All three of those trains can get you into Manhattan. This enclave actually has really good affordability. So instead of spending over $3,400 a month in rent, you can get a nice one bedroom there for $2,200 or $2,300. That's a lot of money. That's between eleven dollars to $1,200 you're saving a month, mm -hmm. which roughly equates to about fifteen grand a year. To increase your commute another 15, 20, 25 minutes to save 15 to 20 grand a year, I would say that's a more than worthwhile trade-off. Absolutely. Another neighborhood back to, to Queens uh, is Jamaica. You have plenty of bang for your buck, access to dozens of bus lines, several subway lines, and a commuter rail. So the median rent in Jamaica, you're looking at roughly $2,100 a month versus, again, paying another $1,300, $1,400 to be in Manhattan. Um, to own a home, you're looking at around the $600,000, 650 range, mm -hmm. which that same amount won't even get you a condo in Manhattan. Another great neighborhood is Inwood. It's very quiet. It's close to actually one of Manhattan's best parks, but it's still affordable. And you have the A train that goes down there. And for those people that love Brooklyn or are intrigued by the uh, new developments in Brooklyn, you have Greenpoint which you have the G train, which will get you between Brooklyn and Queens. It's geographically close to Williamsburg, which everybody loves, it's, which is trendy, but it's much more low key and it's a bit more isolated and, and as a result, more low key because of that. Tons of restaurants, tons of bars, tons of things going on and a great park. Okay, so all of these neighborhoods that you just described or districts that you just mentioned are great options for all of our listeners out there who want to find a place in New York that is not extremely expensive. It's also a great opportunity for those who are living in Manhattan but are considering other boroughs to be able to save enough capital 
for whatever reasons, right? Either to buy their first home, which is a great strategy and one that you've mentioned you've been employing yourself, or to create their new venture or invest it anywhere else. Yeah, to be able to have the ability to splurge and to have have those options. And all these neighborhoods have the themes that we've been discussing in common, transportation, technology, and resources to get to and from those neighborhoods. Yeah, and this is something that those neighborhoods might have not offered 10 years ago because of the lack of transportation methods or the city development, right? For someone as well that's first time moving to New York that wants the a lot of the amenities that we have that we sometimes don't have, excuse me, that they get in their places that they've come from, you're more likely to get a place with a dishwasher, which is a big deal in Manhattan. Absolutely. Or a place with washer dryer and unit or an elevator or something with a great view um, at, a, at a more affordable budget than having to sacrifice that in the city as well. Hmm. Kunal, let's discuss a little bit more first time home buyers. Yeah, we'll, we'll go back to what we talked about earlier, which is the statistic we talked about. 35% of millennials will be homeowners the next few years. Living in New York creates a hurdle for a lot of people that are looking to build wealth and build equity, especially if you're spending 40 to 50 grand of your salary post-tax just on a place to live. Yeah. So what we were doing again is creating tactics for people to build equity, to build wealth, to be able to, to be into that, be within that 35% conversation. Millennials in particular and first-time home buyers are increasingly grasping the conditions and learning what it takes to get deals done. And that includes looking at other boroughs, looking within Manhattan, and understanding that sellers also have to be realistic about selling their homes and, and, and demanding a price that is fair to both sides. I think there's so much data out there today, there's so much technology and information that when people prioritize when they, where they want to live, they're having a better idea of what budget it takes to live there. So, for example, if we talk about Riverdale in particular, uh, Riverdale is an area that I personally, to go back to my story, I'm, I'm, I'm moving to. Riverdale is in the Bronx, and I'm going to be looking to go there. If I wanted to buy a one-bedroom in Manhattan, a one-bedroom co-op, you're looking at between half a million and above for 500, 600 square feet. Whereas in Riverdale, I have access to two trains. I have the one train that gets you straight to Times Square, straight to Penn Station yeah. in roughly 40 to 45 minutes. Or I could take the Metro North train that gets me to the city a lot quicker into Grand Central or mm. under 30 minutes. That same one bedroom out there is 150, 175, 200,000 to own. So the nice thing that I've noticed about Riverdale is a lot of the spaces were pre-war or post-war that were built with generous floor plans. Mm. So these apartments are naturally much larger. You're talking 750, 800 square feet. You're not getting a shortage of space. And I know the number one shock for most people living moving to Manhattan is the size of the places they end up in. Absolutely. I moved here from Florida. You know, I grew up in a house and I came here and I lived in a box and it was a shock and it, I still am shock. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely one of the first things that renters talk about when visiting an apartment is that the prices are so elevated and the space is so condensed. Yeah. And to go back to, for example, Riverdale in the Bronx and, and Inwood, you're seeing a great quality of life by living there because of the ease of transportation. It's cheaper in terms of getting to and from the city than it was eight to 10 years ago. You have great public school systems, for example, Horse, and you have great private school system, private schools like Horace Mann, Riverdale Country Club, Fieldson Ethical School. These are some of the best schools in the country. And for somebody that is looking to buy, that's paying $2,200 for a studio in Manhattan, it'd be very difficult for them to purchase 
with that budget, right? $2,200 gets you a studio in Manhattan. You could rarely buy a condo or co-op without putting down a lot more money, mm. right? And in these other neighborhoods in Queens and Brooklyn and the Bronx, Staten Island, you can get a mortgage Absolutely. for that price point, which opens the doors to a lot more opportunity for people. Absolutely. Wealth. Absolutely. So these, these are things to think about when it comes to, you know, what to do with the wealth and where to go. I also feel that the trends of other people being attracted to different boroughs is reflected as well on the sales market, not only on the rental market. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. So if you're looking at a report I was just released actually by Corcoran uh, mm-hmm. of this year, you're looking for condos specifically, there's been a 17% decrease in the average sales price for a condominium. You mean in Manhattan, right? Yes. What does that mean? That means that even though... It's a lot less expensive to buy one. Right now, it's not a great market for a lot of people that are looking to buy that in particular. While everybody's out there looking for a good deal, I think a lot of people are looking to buy something that's going to appreciate in value. So if you compare it to Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. Brooklyn is up about 16% in terms of the average sale price Mm. from January 2020 uh, of this year, 2020 rather. Okay. Brooklyn is up this year at 16%. So if I had bought an apartment last year, the beginning of 2019, and I wanted to sell it, if that apartment was located in Manhattan, the price that I paid for it, I would have to sell it for 17% less of that. Whereas if I had bought that same apartment, let's say in Brooklyn, the price would have increased 16%. Yeah, sure. And it depends obviously on the neighborhood and there's other variables and factors, but you would have a, a lot more difficult time selling it in Manhattan versus Brooklyn. And that's that makes it easier for our listeners to understand why other people are starting to find other boroughs more attractive. And it goes back to your question originally, which which you asked me, given the state of the rental market, do you see more residents having an opportunity to live in other boroughs? It's already happening. The savvy buyers are looking outside of the city that are first-time home buyers to get to break the cycle of paying rent and to build the cycle of building wealth and equity. Yeah, to avoid burning their money on rent when they can be saving to be able to afford giving a down payment a couple of years down the line. Right. Or, or starting your own business or leaving the city and, and being able to afford to buy a home somewhere else. The beauty of this strategy is it works regardless of your goals. If your goals are to be here one or two years, you're saving tens of thousands of dollars a year and you're able to buy something even more affordable in another state or country. Hmm. But if you want to stay here, you're opening up the door to be able to have a mortgage or, and purchase a place versus just renting. And that's, that's what this is about, having a more options. That's amazing. So the question again goes back to how much money do I have or do I want to have? And when I have that, what can I buy with that money? It's important for everybody to think about that and to see how that translates into their goals. Kunal Kemlani, everyone with us today. Kunal, thank you so much for being here with us and for providing this strategy for all of our listeners. Anytime, any questions you all have, feel free to reach out to me. To all of our listeners out there, Kunal's information will be provided in the description of the podcast, wherever you're listening to it. So feel free to reach out to him and please mention that you heard of him on this podcast. Until the next episode, thank you, everyone. Thanks, guys. Enjoy your weekend. This podcast is supported by Replay Listings. Along with an amazing team of engineers, we created Replay Listings to bring more transparency and honesty into the real estate industry. And we do this by showing available rental apartments in New York through unedited videos so that we can guarantee the authenticity of the content you're looking at. 
If you're interested, know that you can visit the webpage or download the app. The name is Replay Listings, and you can find it as replaylistings.com and on the App Store or Google Play.